Well, my name is Dustin Johnson. I'm the director of Life Leadership College here at Life Church, and uh, it's an honor to be able to be before you today and speak to you. When I was asked to preach today, they said that you could preach about anything within reason, and it's got to be from the Bible, it's got to be about Jesus, that's kind of the parameters, but uh, other than that, uh, you prayerfully consider your text, prayerfully consider your topic, and then allow the Lord to lead you in that, and, and, and then preach that. And so instantly, I'm trying to process this, because the last time that I was asked to preach, I was given a topic, they, were, they told me that I was to preach on marriage, and, and as a part of that sermon, I probably said the the S-E-X word, like three or four times. And so I'm just amazed that pastor would even allow me to speak again. But here I am, and I do believe that God has uh, given me a message to share with you today. So if you want to grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be for the majority of our service today. Philippians chapter 4. And if you're taking notes, you can write the title of this message at the top. It is called Bold as Lions. Bold as lions. And listen, take notes, not for my benefit. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't make me feel any better, but for your benefit, because you, you'll be able to recall and reflect and even retreat back to notes like these when, when you're going through days and seasons of darkness. When the enemy's at work in your life, it's always good to have something that you can look back onto when God was speaking clearly to you. And he often does that in services such as these, in worship services, and in, in times where the, the preaching of the word is being administered into your life. You'll be able to look back and be refreshed and be encouraged in those moments. Notes help with that. As you're turning to Philippians chapter 4, let me ask you this. Have you ever had an irrational fear? Have you, uh, so something that you were afraid of that if you take a moment and just step back, there's not much reason for you to be so fearful over such a thing. Uh, so many people have so many different fears, uh, some of them irrational. Uh, like I, I, I've known people before when they walk into the restroom and there is a shower curtain and it is closed. They are terrified about what might be on the other side of that shower curtain. Is there a man there with a knife? Is there a monster? And so they refuse to go into the bathroom if the shower curtain is closed. You're laughing, they, that might not be you, but maybe you are the one that, uh, that, that when you're trying to get into an elevator or what you like to call it the the death box that you know that the doors are going to slam shut and decapitate you or if you make it safely inside then you know that it's going to plummet down to the bottom and you're going to die or just skyrocket to the top and pancake you and you, you're going to lose your life you're confident that's going to take place even though stairs statistically speaking are much more dangerous than elevators or for you, you have perfected the art. I know, listen, I know you're a grown man, you're a grown woman, but you have still perfected the art of leaping from your bed to the bathroom because when you wake up in the middle of the night, you don't want to step on the floor right beside your bed because of that gap between the bed and the floor where something might reach out and grab your ankle as you try to walk to the restroom. You're laughing, but on the inside you're like, that's me. And then you get to the restroom and then the shower curtain's closed and then you don't know what to do. The rest of your night's completely ruined. Uh, we all have irrational fears. My wife, one of her irrational fears is that of whales. W-H-A-L-E-S. Kara is scared of 
wells. So much so that when we work out, uh, we, we have a gym that has a, a little cinema room. It's a big cinema room. It's completely dark. There's cardio equipment in there. And then on the wall, huge, is displayed a different movie every single day. Well, one time when we went to go work out, they were playing Castaway. And I don't know how much you know about the movie, but it's centered around an island. And then around the island is obviously water. And in the water might possibly be wells. And so not knowing much about the movie, she knew that that could potentially, that there could potentially be a scene with wells in it. So she refused to work out that day. That is, that is how her irrational fear came to play. Uh, My dad, is, is scared of heights. And now I, I understand not wanting to be up in a hot air balloon or being uncomfortable on roller coasters. That's, that's understandable. Uh, but I re- distinctly remember a time when I was a young child and we were at the local pool. And I don't know what had gotten into my dad that day. If he was just going to conquer his fear, if he was trying to impress his wife, or if he was just embarrassed because me and my brother were jumping off the, the diving boards. But he determined that that was going to be the day where he would, for the first time, do the high dive. So he went and stood in line with all the middle school kids, and then slowly made his way to the front of the line, and then boldly climbed the ladder, which already is a long way up, but if you're scared of heights, all the more so. And then he boldly stood on top of the diving board, you know, head tilted up, chest puffed out, because he was going to conquer his fear that day. Confident. My dad was bold. My dad was brave. My dad was courageous. My dad was turning to the lifeguard beside him and asking her to help him back down the ladder. And so this 16-year-old high school lifeguard blew her whistle and had the line of junior hires move back so that she could escort my father, grown man, grown man father, down the ladder so that he could walk shamefully away. Thankfully, that's not the only memory I have of my father, but that is one of the memories that I have of my dad. It's, It's an irrational fear. Fears both Rational and irrational, they're, they're common. In fact, in the life of the believer, in the life of those that are following God, we all have some kind of fear, some kind of irrational anxiety, something that cripples us and prevents us from being who God has called us to be and from doing what God has called us to do. In our text, Paul is going to say that there are some, there are some things that, that make you afraid, that cause you fear, that have and make no sense in heaven's perspective. Let's read in Philippians chapter four and you'll see what I mean. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's our passage. How many of you want verse 7 in your life? Huh? No, I want verse 7. The peace of God that transcends all understanding in my heart and my mind, that's what I want. I have a problem though with verse 6. 
I do. I, I, in fact, I have a problem with a lot of what Paul says often. Paul is this guy that seems impervious in Scripture, that he, I, that he should have like an S uh, across his chest because he, is, he, he has so many issues and so many problems, as do we all, but this guy seems to never uh, be down by them. He seems to never be defeated by them. I, I, I often have problems with what Paul has to say. I, I, I don't get Paul. I do get David. King, he became King David. He's in the Old Testament. David had, uh, had issues like this. So he wrote a lot of the Psalms in, in the Old Testament. And, and you can read one Psalm and he is happy and he is rejoicing in the Lord and God is good all the time. And then you go to the very next Psalm and he's like, everything is terrible. I, I hate my life. I don't like anyone in it and no one likes me and that's just how it's gonna be. I would rather die. That is David's life and oftentimes that's mine. One day is good, the next day is the worst. One season is great, I'm on top of the world. The next season, I feel like everything is crumbling apart all around me. I get David, I don't understand Paul. Maybe you're the same, you don't, you don't get Paul. Paul, specifically in this situation, in this setting, like, Paul, there are real things to be anxious about. How, how in the world am I going to pay my mortgage at the end of the month? Uh, the, the boss wants to meet with me first thing on Monday. What's that all about? If the boss wants to meet with me on Monday, that's already bad. First thing on Monday, what's going to happen? Uh, well, what if my kids get sick or terrorists? They're out to get us. Or the swine flu, is that even still a thing? But, Paul, there are real things to be afraid about in our life and in our world today. You just don't get it. And I think that every time that I have that conversation with Paul, every time that I'm frustrated at him and, and call him out on the things that he has to say, especially in this situation, that I think that he speaks back to me and he says, dude, I'm writing you this letter from prison. That as I sit here and pen Philippians, I'm, I'm sitting in a jail cell and I've already been flogged. I've already been beaten. I thought that I was going to die, and still I say, if you are following God's plan, you've got no reason to ever be anxious. Instead, he says to pray, to ask, to be thankful, to go to God and he will give you peace. But haven't we tried that? I, I know I have. I, I've tried to go to God. I've tried to pray the stress away. I've, I've tried to pray myself out of a problem that I was in. And, and God sometimes seems to be absent from the whole scenario. I, I pray and I fast and I ask God to show up and do something. And, and, but God, I trust you, but it's been four days. It's been five days. It's been a week. It's been a month and you still haven't showed up and taken me out of this situation. Where are you, God? That's where I think that Paul just doesn't sound realistic. But I think it's easy to miss what Paul is actually saying. I, I don't think that he's saying that there's never reason to have concern. There, there are legitimate reasons to be concerned. For example, you can take this metaphorically or, or literally. If you're sitting in a room and the temperature starts to rise and a few seconds later you, you, you smell smoke and then a few seconds after that you see tendrils of smoke waft into the room that you're sitting in 
and then the heat increases all the more, and then you see, and then you start to smell things are burning. Well, here's newsflash for you. Your house is on fire. Okay, and so it would be improper of you to smell the smoke, to see the flames, and to say, I'm not going to be anxious about anything today. That, that, would, that would be unwise. But, but your house is on fire. No, it'll sort itself out. No, ma'am, your fridge just melted. Well, God's in control. No, no that would not be wise. In fact, that would be ignorance. There are legitimate reasons to be concerned when your house is on fire, but also a a lot of other reasons to have genuine concern. But when you face situations in life, you're going to have to choose how you're going to respond. And it could be with one or two ways. One's good, one's bad. One is uh, with genuine concern, and the other is with needless anxiety. Genuine concern, needless anxiety. Genuine concern, that is, that's valid. That That is an accurate response sometimes in our life. Needless anxiety is never beneficial and is always destructive. And so let me show you how you can accurately interpret which way you are responding. If you look back in in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, you'll see, Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Paul in some of his other letters, has a lot to say about things. Romans chapter 8 in particular. If you want to turn there with me or just write down the reference, Romans 8 verse 31. Paul says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all, help me out, Things. And then you can, you can read on your own time some of those verses in there, but Paul lists out some things that could potentially separate us from the love of Christ, including, but not limited to, persecution, famine, and nakedness, which you know has the tendency to separate you from people, but thankfully nudity has never and will never separate us from God. Glory, hallelujah. I meant to say hallelujah, didn't come out. Verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So according to Paul, If your problem is just a thing, then there is no real reason to be anxious because it's just a thing. It's just a thing. It's just, say that. It's just a thing. Say it's just a, it's just a thing. So so don't give your time or waste your energy or emotions on, on these things because although these things seem to overwhelm us, these things are nothing to God. And for those of us that are saved, those of us that are Christ followers, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so it's just a thing and no thing is greater than God's love. No thing is greater than God's grace. No thing is greater than God's peace or protection over and in you. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. And not only that, but sometimes you're anything really is nothing. 
Like, like when you get to the other side, you can look back and just, it was nothing. For us, that looked like just a few months back, Kara's car just stopped working. It just stopped working. I hate car problems. I think everybody hates car problems, but me in particular, because I'm no mechanic. I, I'm no handyman. You can look at me I, 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 and tell. Like, right? I'm not a manly man. Uh, just, just to be honest with you, in the Old Testament, there's Jacob and Esau, you know, they're, they're brothers. And, and Esau was this burly man, this man's man. The Bible describes him as a guy that always went out into the field and he, he, he killed animals, brought them home to eat, like that kind of man. A man that knows how to build a fire. All right? And then Jacob, on the other hand, it, it describes him as a man that liked to stay at home at the tent with his mom. That's me. I mean, just to be honest with you, that, that's, that's me. I, I don't relate to the Esau's in this world. I'm more, of, I'm more of a Jacob. And so when there are issues in my life uh, that, that I can't fix because I'm not a handyman, I, I try to make friends with real men who I can call whenever I have an issue. You think I'm joking. Listen, I just bought a house, and so I'm going to need some of these guys in my life. So, uh, like, we're even trying to, to uh, we, we need a truck today to move some things, and I don't even know what to do about that. Like, uh, but, but so we, the, the only tools that I know how to use are WD-40 and duct tape. Anything past that, and, and I start to get into trouble. And so Kara's car stopped working. I knew the preliminary stuff. Uh, so I, I knew to check the battery, and so replace the battery. Car still didn't turn over. That was about the extent of what I knew to do to repair a car. Uh, tires flat, replace the battery, all right? Headlights out, replace the battery. I was just going to try, try what I knew to do. I know, I know a little bit more than that. So I, I started to process in my mind, well, okay, if it's not the battery, it could be the starter. If it's not the starter, it could be the alternator. And the alternator costs uh, some significant amount of money. But if it's even not the alternator, maybe it's the motor. And if it's, not, if it's the motor, then, then we're just going to need to buy a new car. And we can't afford a new car. You see how quickly I, I become unraveled. I'm not the only one. And so, so, I mean, this frustration and this anxiety and this tension and this distress started to build up in me. But then Kara was like, hey, uh, so let's just pray and, uh, and let's just go to sleep. And listen, you, you think that I'm about to say I prayed, I went outside, and then it was like a Cadillac the next day. Or it was like a, it was, that's, God doesn't work that way, at least not in our lives. Um, but we did pray. We went to sleep, woke up the next morning. And before going to work, I decided to check and see if the car would turn over. So, so I did. And. I, I don't know if God was just looking down on me and smiling at that moment or if God, if the battery had en ended up fixing the problem eventually, but whatever, whatever the situation was, the car turned over. And, and the car turned over the next day and the next day and the next day and, and it, 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 didn't, it didn't have that issue again. So even though I had built up all this anxiety, although I had built up all this stress over that, that particular issue, my, my anything was really just a nothing like I, I, I had stressed so much over it, and it amounted to nothing. And that has happened many times throughout history, including in Mark chapter 4. I want you to turn there, Mark chapter 4, it's an eyewitness account of when Jesus' disciples were anxious for nothing. One day Jesus wanted to get away, he wanted to go on a trip, and his disciples were preparing to go with him. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. You see, Jesus had been teaching all day, and, and he was exhausted. I don't know if you've ever preached a sermon, but uh, after preaching one sermon, you are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. 
In just a few minutes, I'll be done preaching this, the third sermon this weekend. And so I will be exhausted and I'll be good to sleep the rest of today and the rest of this week. And so I'll be back again next Sunday ready to go because it just depletes you. And so I can't imagine Jesus probably having just preached four, five, six sermons in a row. He needed some alone time. So in verse 36, he left the crowd behind and they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall then came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. You see, they were, they were on the Sea of Galilee, which is notorious for instantaneous storms. One moment it can be completely calm, and then the next moment it can be just tumultuous, and it could, be, it could take boats, small boats, under. And verse 38 says that Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. He took, don't be anxious about anything, very literally, and Jesus was out asleep. How many of you can sleep through anything? Okay, this was Jesus in this moment, a squall, a storm upon the, the, the sea there, and Jesus was out. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? First of all, never wake Jesus up like that. Second of all, don't ever come in Jesus' face like that and start accusing him right after you wake him up. That's not good for anyone, much less Jesus. You don't, you don't do that to Jesus. Of course Jesus cares. He just knew something that the disciples didn't. Jesus knew that the waves can't do anything that God hasn't allowed. And so in verse 39, he got up and Jesus rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they began to ask one another, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So there is so much in this story. We don't have all the time in the world to be able to pull apart and find out all, all, all that that could be applied to our lives. So, so I just want to address a few things. First of all is this, wind will blow and the waves will crash. Huh? In your life, the wind will blow and the waves will crash. That is going to happen. Life Church, I need you to know this. Our world is broken. Our world is flawed. And in your life, you're going to experience some devastating situations. There are going to be some scenarios that you face that are completely outside of your control and outside of your grasp that is going to cause deep-rooted pain in your life. You cannot prevent the waves from coming. But you can determine now how you will respond when the waves arrive. And in those times in your life when Jesus seems to be asleep in the stern and he hasn't miraculously pulled you out of the situation that you are in, if he hasn't miraculously come and, and calmed the storms in your life and he hasn't eliminated your anxiety, it can be easy to come to the same conclusion as the disciples did and say we're all going to die and God doesn't even care. But what if we, 
could, like Jesus, come to the same conclusion and, and, and believe and really hold on to and trust that nothing can happen to us that is outside of God's control. Nothing can happen to us that God does not allow. That no wave can overtake us and no amount of wind can overcome us if we are a child of God. And I want to I want to conclude by just sharing with you a process that I follow. I, I learned this from another pastor. I've adapted it slightly to, to fit more in, in line with what I'm doing. And feel free to adapt it for your own sake. But, but I would encourage you to, to practice something like this whenever you face times of, of significant stress or of anxiety in your life. When I feel that the waves are crashing in around me and that God is nowhere to be found, typically walk myself through these steps. The first thing that I do is breathe. I breathe. There's nothing spiritual there. I'm not mean, there's nothing, you know, it's not like breathe the Holy Spirit in and then breathe. It's nothing, it's just I, I breathe. Sometimes when you're going through anxious situations, everything is knotted up inside and it's twisted inside and it's hard to, hard to focus and it's hard to know what to do. But if you just breathe, more oxygen fills your lungs and oxygen is pumped to your heart and to your brain, then you're able to think more clearly. You're able to function better. I just breathe. Would you do that with me? Let's take a deep breath and let it out. Doesn't that feel better? Already, if, if, if in times when you're facing the waves, if you could just pause and actually breathe, it's a good first step. It's not the last step. Second thing that I do is then I remember. I remember, I recall, I reflect on the times where God has been faithful in my life. I don't just look at the problems of today, I reflect back to the times of yesterday when God showed up and he actually brought me through. If I'm still here today able to take that breath, then I know that God hasn't abandoned me completely. And so I remember the times, kind of like David. So when he's, when he's facing Goliath, the giant that stands before him, I think that David didn't only see the problem that stood before him, but he reflected back to the time where God took care of the bear and the lion. And he said, God can definitely take care of this mere man before me. So I remember. I remember. And then I ask. I breathe, I remember, I ask. I, I ask God to actually do something. I think it is okay to ask our good our good heavenly father for things. If we only ask, I think that, that, is, that, that that's probably unhealthy. But if we, if we come before him and we remember and we reflect and we worship on the things that he's done and then we ask, I think that is completely within line. And so I come before God and I do as scripture says and I make my request known before God and I say, God, you know that science and medicine cannot solve this issue. But God, you are a miracle working God and I know that you can bring healing to the life of my loved one. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this situation alive. But I know you have raised people from the dead and so surely you can breathe life 
into my situation. I ask, and I believe boldly, confidently that God is going to show up and he's going to work in my life. I ask God to do something on my behalf. And then I visualize. I, I, I visualize, I, I see that this isn't the only, that, that this isn't the end. That, that, the, that, that what is being written now is not the final chapter in my life. I've seen better days and I know that there's, there's uh, another side to this. And so I visualize that God is going to get me through this and that there is a better day coming. And I look at that in my mind's eye. I close my eyes and with my heart, with my expectation and with my hope, I look forward to that better day. And then... I engage the wave. I, I, I engage the wave. I meet the wave head on. I'm not going to shrink back in fear and, and cower away from the things that, that I'm facing in life. I'm not just going to act like it's not happening, like the person that's sitting in the house while everything is on fire around them. I'm going to engage the waves and I'm going to give my, my, my stress and my anxiety a black eye by quoting scripture into my situation. And I'm going to say, if God is for me, who can be against me? And, and I'm going to start quoting these things over my life. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of power and love and of a sound mind. And sometimes, sometimes engaging the waves and facing the wind is simply saying, be still and know that I'm God. But the last thing you do is sit back and let it overtake you. You forcefully have to engage the waves. Breathe, remember, act, ask, visualize, engage. It's the steps I follow and it's in the words that I put them in so that I could accurately remember what God is doing in my life, whether I know it or not, and the same for you. Breathe, remember, ask, visualize, and engage. If you take the first letter of each of those words before you know it, God has inspired you to be brave so that you can, uh, you can stand against the things that you're facing in life, so that you don't have to be defeated. In practicing these steps without even being aware, you have become brave over your situation. You can face whatever you're going through. You can endure the situation and the struggle because through Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit, you are brave. And I want to leave you with one last verse. One last verse. Do you, do you remember what the title of this message is? You'll, you'll know if you took notes. You can just look up at the top there. Bold as lions. That wasn't just something I made up. It, I wasn't feeling creative one day and was like, this sounds good. I pirated this directly from Scripture. Proverbs 28 verse 1 is what I want to leave you with today. The wicked flee, though no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee because they, in life, they're unsettled. 
They're stressed and they're anxious. And they're afraid. And when they face tough times in life, they've got nothing, they've got no one to fall back on. But the righteous, those that follow Christ, those that are saved by grace, can be bold as lions. They can be confident. They can be courageous. They can be brave in the face of adversity because when the waves come, and they will come, we are held up. We are sustained. And we are strengthened by the wave maker himself. Therefore, we can be bold as lions. 